Hey, welcome to Vine Church Fort Myers podcast. We are glad that you took time to listen. We pray that the message of grace empowers you today. For the word of God. I am very, very excited. Very excited for this message today. And I know I have a challenge. It's a very, very challenging challenge for me. Um, We're going to try to... Uh, step in the threshold of Romans chapter 8. And someone told that if the Bible is a crown, the most precious jewel is Romans. The diamond of the Bible is the book of Romans. But the sparkling of this diamond is Romans chapter 8. So I don't want to treat this chapter... Um, like in a fa- fast-paced process. So I am estimating that we're going to close our Romans study in two more weeks. Today, we're going to get inside of Romans 8. Next week, we're going to study more, deeper, and then we're going to cover the remaining po- portion of Romans in the last message. But in order to do that, I decided to make a nutshell summary of Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, until chapter 8, so you can get the context. Amen? Are you guys ready? So let's pray, because this is a very profound, powerful letter that deserves years of study. And we need revelation. We need that the, the soil of our hearts be... Fruitful and ready to receive this powerful seed. Just incline your heads. Just close your eyes. Ask the Holy Spirit for revelation. That's, that's the word you need to use in this prayer right now. Ask the Holy Spirit for enlightenment. That the eyes of your hearts be open. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. That as we step in the holy grounds of Romans. We can receive transformation, metanoia, repentance, change of mind. God, bring light in our darkness, life into our death. Let us have revelation this morning. And God, leave this place completely different as the result of your powerful, inerrant word. In Jesus' name, everybody said once again. Hallelujah. All right, buckle up. Tell your brother, buckle up. Buckled up. Romans chapter 1 is about the gospel of God. Paul say that this is the message that has the power for salvation. There is no other strategy. There is no other power that can save a person. Only the gospel. Then he exposes in this chapter a very wicked, dirty, filthy list of sins and practices that people without God, it's capable to do it. Because they exchanged the truth about God into lies. Romans 1.28 And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God started a judgment already into the world 
God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Say with me, not to be done. So Paul, straightforward in the opening of the book, he says, the gospel message will never approve such wicked, filthy, sinful list of behaviors. And don't come slandering my message saying that because you got grace, you became licentious. You became more sinful. Because you are under grace, now you are even given more into sin. No, no, it's totally wrong. The least I said is ought not to be done. I never approved that. My message never approved that. Actually, I'm not ashamed to preach this message just because there's such accusations of, about the gospel. The gospel is never an excuse for a sinful life, but it is the power for a victorious life. Say amen in the house. That's why Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed. Tell your neighbor, I'm not ashamed too. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It is the power of God for salvation, for sozo. This, is, this means that once you get the gospel, you are saved in your spirit at once. Your inner part, your inner man, your heart is regenerated. And you are made anew in your heart. Your soul enters in the process of salvation. That means transformation. And your body, even though it's decaying and getting older, it is destined to be glorified. So the salvation of the gospel is this trifold aspect of salvation that saves your spirit, leads your soul into transformation, and destines your body into glorification. Say amen in the house. I told you to buckle up, right? This is just chapter 1. Chapter 2. And then he tells us that don't come, you moralist, saying, I'm not as filthy and wicked like everybody you just mentioned chapter 1, Paul. I don't practice such horrible behaviors you just mentioned chapter 1. Actually, I feel pretty good comparing myself with this Terrible list of murder, stealing, slandering, and immorality, and, and all kinds of debauchery you just mentioned. And then he punches the moralists in the jaw, saying, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Or do you presume you, on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Say repentance. Repentance is this word that now was it is associated with, with grief and remorse and a, a sad feeling regarding your behaviors that you are frustrated to do it and you said, I was not meant to be done these anymore. But repentance, even though has, it can have these elements of grief, essentially repentance is change of mind. I was thinking in one way and now I will not think in that way anymore. I will have a metanoia, change of opinion about God. And all the patience, the kindness, the grace of God was meant to lead you into repentance. Verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart. Your hard and impenitent heart. 
You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, Paul tells us that you moralists, you that compare yourselves with people that are so wicked and sinful, don't think that the mercy of God is just there for you to feel good about yourself. No, don't do that. Bro, break your heart, be humble, and accept the solution of God. And at the end of chapter 2, introducing chapter 3, now it's time for the religiousness. Those that now, different in the moralists, that just keep their self-righteousness inward, those that, this is the moralists, that just convince themselves when they compare with other wicked, broken, crazy people in the uh, news every night. They say, I'll never do such a thing. The moralist convinced himself. The religious person now even practice some exterior rituals in order to convince himself and to show off to others that if I preserve specific holy days if i don't dress myself in costume in october 31st i'm better and i am now a credit before god with my self-righteousness because i don't eat because i don't touch because i don't go don't come you religious person thinking that your appearance your external outward religiosity is commanding you before god this is also empty and useless he actually gives the ultimate in Romans 3.10. No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greeks, religious and moralists, are under sin. And it is, as it is written, none is righteous, none, none, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have come worthless. No one does good, not even one. And the, and the solution that he gave in chapter 1 is repeated now in chapter 3. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Say the righteousness, righteousness. of God through faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, 23, for all have seen and fall short, are undressed and clothed from the glory we once had in the garden. Look, this image in that Adam and Eve in the garden, God themselves naked, you have to understand, comparing to Romans chapter 3, 23, is that now that, that glorious Shekinah glory of God that covered them and gave them the authority to have dominion and leadership over creation, now they are unclothed because of sin. We are all fell short. We are all undressed from the glory of God. Verse 24, in However, we are also justified by His grace as a gift. In other words, now don't try to fix yourself, but receive the gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's what actually introduced us to chapter 4. Because salvation is received, not achieved. It is a gift. And if you are not humble and simple enough... To receive, look at me, and you are trying still to achieve, to conquer, 
to, to get it to yourself through any sacrifice. If I do that procession to that holy place, or if I keep myself comparing my mind with the bad news I watch it every night in NBC and comparing my moralism level with others, this will not justify you. You have to be humble and say, I need your redemption. I need your salvation. I need your plan for my life, God. And he uses no better person but Abraham, the father of faith in chapter 4. He clearly says that it is about believing. We receive our hands to receive is the hand of faith. Say amen in the house. Chapter 4 verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And he was counted a credit to his account he was deposited in his justice righteousness account then now he will be considered righteous i'm going to read it again abraham believed god and he was counted to him as righteousness and everyone who has the same humble Attitude of Abraham of receiving hands of faith by faith, his salvation will receive justification. So Paul insists that all the signs that the religion or the practice of Abraham was actually only a sign of the reality inside. This is very important, guys. This is what makes us evangelical West Church. This is what makes us Bible-based church. Because uh, any sign, any appearance that we practice or ritual or liturgy we do here, it's only if there is the inner reality. If our baptism is only a bath wash, it's useless. If you get the cup and the bread and eat, you actually only have an appetizer in the Sunday morning. But if it is a reality inside, now it has power. Just like the circumcision for Abraham as a sign of his faith. Now, I just want to stop a little bit because the faith is defined here in the book of Romans. A little different than in Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter of faith. Romans chapter 4 defines Abraham's faith in this, in this way. Romans 4, 21. Abraham... Fully convinced, say with me, convinced. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So in Romans, faith is conviction. Say conviction. And if you read the story, the Bible tells us that Abraham was very aware of his age limitation. That he could not bear a son, generate a son in that physical state. However, he was fully convinced. No feelings, no awareness of his circumstances could shift his mind because his faith was conviction. Say conviction. It's not a feeling. It's not a conclusion. It's not a reason. It is a conviction that is above and greater than your feelings. Say amen in the house. Amen. Oh, I pray that you're receiving this in your spirit. Because feelings comes and goes. Yeah. 
Circumstances shifts all the time, but your conviction cannot wave, cannot shift away. Chapter 5, but not only salvation. We had received justification like Abraham. We were accredited righteousness. And the chapter 5 opens like this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the heart of the book. It is about, this is the theme of the book that because of faith, we were made right before God. And because our new stand before God of righteousness, like Christ is we are in this world, everything, say with me, everything, everything. conspires to my good. Because I am righteous before God, the things are going to work together for my good. Romans 5.20, he closes chapter 5 making this statement. And I'm only referring and quoting this because we're going to use this in the two chapters we're going to talk today. Romans 5.20, now the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So save this in your backup because we're going to refer to this in chapter 7. Chapter 6. I told you it's going to be very fast. And this is only my introduction to chapter 7 and 8. Are you guys ready? Chapter 6. Now... When I get all these blessings, salvation, redemption, justification, and if I apply these this all blessings in my life, it will become sanctification. What that means, Pastor? It means that people in my family, my co-workers, my friends in school, they will notice that I am set apart. That I am different than them. That I don't think like everybody else. That I don't practice what everybody's doing. I don't go what everyone is doing because I am sanctified. I'm set apart. I'm different. Because the justification for me is not a theology, a doctrine. It's not only something that I reason with my religion. It is an application in my life that is manifested in my actions, in my words, in my relationships. Romans 6.3 do not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So just a, a reference. Baptism is coming. And some of you guys already believed. Some of you guys already believed for salvation. You know that you are not supposed to be a slave of sin and death and demons anymore. You have your freedom letter signed. But you never apply that freedom letter into your life. Let me say baptism is coming. It's time for you to get this step. It's time for you to really get your freedom in. Apply it into your life. Baptism do that. Does that. We are buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. We too might walk in newness of life. Say with me. Walk in newness of life. In other words, my, my, my life will be noticeable, different than 
everyone else around me because I apply that justification and I apply it doing three simple steps. I consider this truth and I really believe this truth and now I willingly present my body, my hands, my mind, my eyes, my voice, my whole being I present in a continuous practice before God. I know, I consider, I present. And that's our introduction. Chapter 7. Chapter 7, it is a controversial chapter in Romans because people read it through the lenses without considering the context. That's why I made all this background to get in chapter 7. It's a long discourse that Paul is trying to, to remind us, don't go back into your self-effort, your willpower, and live a victorious life against sin. You're never going to do it. You can't do it. No, don't, don't forget. If you look to the law of God, which is perfect, which is holy, which is pure, and you try to obey the law in the strength of your own willpower, you will always be defeated. So I call this chapter, How to Deal with Mr. Law. That's actually how actually Paul uh, describes and illustrates to us. He tells us about this woman that is married. And she's married with a very strict, austere man. This man is Mr. Law. He is perfect, holy, pure. And even though this woman, this woman is very dedicated and she tries all her best, in the 613 commandments that Mr. Law gave her to have the perfect life, the perfect marriage, she always failed. Always failed. When she stands to do something good, she sees herself under this bondage of sin that drags her back into failure. She can't. She simply can't. She even tried all that she could learn. Actually, she tries to memorize. And the only help that Mr. Law gave her is a summary okay I know you are always a failure and I want you to make it right so I'll give you a decalogue I'll give you a summary of my 613 commandments here it is the 10 commandments of a perfect marriage and you're going to learn that Mr. Law is so strict that he poke he gives opinion in absolutely every aspect of life in that women life he wants to intervene of what she will eat, the days that she was supposed to rest, how she was supposed to work, and even in the sexual intimacy, there was strict regulations and what to do and not to do. She was trying her best, but always failing. She was frustrated, so she thought, maybe I can get divorced. But she found out that there's no possibility God did not create a chance for a divorce. So she thought, maybe I can kill Mr. Law. Maybe I can, you know, make him dead. But unfortunately, God spoke through Jesus saying that the law is eternal. I'd say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a yoda, not a dot will pass from the law. So the law doesn't die. Mr. Law doesn't die. What am I supposed to do? This is a horrible relationship. I can't fulfill this 
Mr. Law requirements. And, and look, I'm not saying that Mr. Law is an evil, bad man. I never said that. I'm just saying in the opposite. He is actually holy. He is good. And he is righteous. Every requirement Mr. Law brings is right. Romans 7, 12. It's all good. But I am weak to do it. And even some women marry with other Mr. Laws that are moralist enough to convince them that they could fulfill some commandments, there was always the 10th commandment. And you know the 10th commandment? You shall not covet. Which means that I am good until the moment that I saw that image and my instincts are aroused and I'm coveting again. Until I felt that smell... And I saw myself coveting again. But I didn't intend to. But when I noticed there was this law of sin and death. Make me a slave of covetousness. So I like the fact that Paul chose covetousness. As this ultimatum to put it everybody in the same pot of sinful, weak, impossible state of obeying Mr. Law High Commandments. The commandment should be only a tutor. A guider toward repentance and yielding. But how many moralists think they are still good? How many religionists insist they are commanded before God because they are doing or don't doing or keeping some rituals? How many are self-relying Christians asserting if I'll only try a little more? But there is no way out. And here lies the vicious cycle of many Christians that insist on rely on their own strength and willpower to overcome sin. Romans 7, 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. How I will deal with Mr. Law. The only way out is not divorcing, is not killing Mr. Law because there is no way out of that. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, pay attention. Verse 4. You also have died. Say amen in the house. That deserves a shout of praise. But let me read it to you guys. Colossians chapter 3 again. Colossians. This was not in the script. So let's go there with me. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 3. Is there? Colossians 3.3. 3. I know I didn't put you there, but you can open your Bible if you have one. There we go. Let's read it with me. One, two, three. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now let me hear some shout of praise in the house. I remember that, Pastor. I remember that. Chapter 6. I cannot kill Mr. Law. I cannot divorce Mr. Law, but I can be hidden with Christ and because I am in Christ I am dead with him when Christ who is my life appears then also I will appear with him in glory that's true when I see myself when I identify myself with Christ I am dead with him likewise my brothers you also have died verse 4 to the law through the body of Christ 
so that you may belong to another. Hallelujah. That's exactly what I wanted. As that women in the illustration, I want to belong to another. And someone is going to say, what do you mean, pastor? You mean that now you marry someone? No, no, no. First, I am killed. First, I am dead. And now I am free to marry another one. But which one you marry? Mr. Jesus. And Mr. Jesus, my friend, he is even more austere, even more severe. He requires even higher level of obedience. But what do you mean? I thought I had been delivered from Mr. Law that was terribly austere and strict upon me. Yeah, Jesus is worse. He says, even if you look with the intent in your heart, you already sin. You don't need necessarily to commit adultery. What I'm going to do now, the difference is that Mr. Jesus, he leave it all for you. He empowers you by his grace. And through his very spirit breathing inside of you, he empowers you to obey all the commandments. Are you serious, Pastor? Let's keep reading. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. But someone are going to say, Pastor, but I see myself caught in this vicious cycle of sin and death over and over again. Let me say it's because you did not give up completely yet. Every lifeguard knows the way to save a man that is drowning is wait until that person loses his strength. If you try to save that person before, you might be drowned together with that person. Are you guys with me? So God is waiting you to give up. Mr. Jesus is waiting you to give up. So he can come and intervene. And instead of you closing your Christian life, Praying like Romans chapter 7 verse 24. Who will deliver me from this body of death? You should close your Christian life. Praising God. Thanks to be God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh I serve the law of sin. God will aid us to give up on ourselves. In order to intervene. Which introduces us to chapter 8. And I have five minutes. That's what I told you. Just going to step at the doors of chapter 8. We're not only saved. We're not only justified. We're not only accredited God's righteousness. But we have his divine nature empowering us. To be more than conquerors. And all of this is accessed by the simple act of believing. Believing. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 to 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's deserve a praise God again. Come on, guys. Let's give a shout to God because this is so amazing good. It means that because I'm in Christ, all that 40 plus times that Paul says, I am weak, I am miserable, I try my flesh, my strength, myself in chapter 7. 40 plus times he say, I. Now in chapter 8, we're going to be changed by more than 20 times the word spirit 
in life. Spirit in life. It says His Spirit is in Christ. It's Christ Jesus in me that leads me into victory. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set me, you, free in Christ Jesus. From the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, remember I told you, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order, verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law, Mr. Law, might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Hallelujah. While I was still trying my willpower, dedication, taming myself, having even my spouse reminding me all the time that I'm a believer. Now, I just need to turn myself to the Spirit. Oh, how many problems in our life groups, in our marriages, in our business will be resolved by Spirit-led, Spirit-filled life. Just that. How many circumstances in our relationship could be simply resolved by the person that instead of being the right, having the most intelligent answer, will be the person that will pray first and be spirit-filled in that circumstance. Free from every condemnation that is meant to be the standard of the children of God. Let me invite you to stand up. Because now, in chapter 8, we're going to learn how to walk by the Spirit. To walk according to the Spirit. And I like what Trenton helps us, the opening of this service, to understand about Romans chapter 8. We start with the amazing news. There is no condemnation. My wife cannot condemn me. My kids cannot condemn me. You cannot condemn me. The devil cannot condemn me. That's, that's the, the tune I always walk with God. This doesn't mean there is no consequence of my mistakes with my wife. This doesn't mean I'm not going to have to repair the words I wrongly said to my kids. It doesn't mean obvious that I did not create opportunities for the devil find leverage in my life. But I will not enter in any condemnation from any side because the price was paid. Salvation was performed. Redemption was completed. And now justification was a credit to me the only way of victory is now a spirit-filled life the overcoming life is a walk according to the spirit i'm going to talk about that next week let me close with this while chapter 7 go to chapter 7 verse 24 paul closes the self-relying, the ego-centered chapter of Romans chapter 7 in this way. Wretched man that I am, 
who will deliver me from this body of death. The end of chapter 8, and that's my goal, that's our finish line next week, is Romans 8, 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. If I rely on myself, if I try to keep my words, my reasons by my own strength, I will be always the wretched, weak, defeated Christian. But if I am yielding, submitting, humble, spirit-filled person, all things, in all things, I'll be more than conquer. Again, not because of you, but through Him, through Him who loved us. I feel to speak to some people that might be watching this message that needs to be in Him, in Christ. And you never accepted this gift. And like I told in the beginning of this message, if you are not fit to receive, you cannot be saved. But if you came to the conclusion that you need Christ today, just pray this simple prayer with me this morning. Church, Vine Church, help me out. Just repeat with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I receive. I cannot save myself. I need you. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Today I confess, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. Save me today.